Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast number 65. On this episode, I have Greg Machinery Pete Peterson on. And uh, I like to have Greg on about once a quarter to get his uh, view of, of what the used equipment marketplace is looking like and how things are shaping up uh, across the uh, market. So, Greg, welcome to the show. Hey, good to be back, Casey. Thanks for having me on. No, I appreciate it. It's a pleasure. Um, man, there's a lot of stuff going on right now. Um, just wrapped up the first quarter of the year. I felt like there was a lot of positive activity in the auction marketplace across the, the first quarter, but uh, get your opinion on what you saw happen the first quarter and then kind of how that correlated to what you saw happen in the last quarter of 17. Yeah, you bet, Casey. Uh, I would agree, first quarter 2018, um, you kind of have to parse it a little bit based on condition of equipment, I think, but what we were seeing around U.S. and Canada, basically if it was in good condition, whatever type of equipment across most of the sectors, uh, use values were holding very strong. In fact, uh, certain categories we were seeing, I think, little upticks in use value, uh, which surprised me a little bit, but um, it kind of ties back to basically November of 17 is when we started to see auction prices lift a little bit on good condition used. And it, again, it was pretty broad-based and it was pretty pretty pronounced. Um, in fact, we're just releasing our first quarter uh, 2018 used values index, which I've been doing a bunch of years now. Actually, the index rating uh, picked up a little bit. I got a 1 to 10 scale, and it was 6.7 in the fourth quarter of 17, which was up just a little bit from the third quarter. And first quarter 18 uh, uh, climbed up to 6.8. And frankly, I think it would have been higher, except that we, you know, we cover all types of used equipment. So the, yes, the shiny stuff, the good stuff, but also the junky stuff. And what I'm seeing is a split. I mean, there's always been a split based on condition. So the good stuff, you know, attracts more buyers, but we, we track the average condition stuff too. And that's, it's kind of funny, but that stuff is, I think, getting weaker whereas the good condition stuff is getting stronger. So when it's difficult to try and jam all that together into one statement. But if I did that right now, I would say overall, you know, use values are, are very strong uh, early 18, and particularly on the really good stuff, a lot of demand there. Yeah, that late, that, especially late model low-hour stuff, and I'll even express that out to... I've watched a lot of, you know, ten-year-old stuff that brought right. more money than I could have. I uh, probably more money than what it cost when it was new, and um, right. in a lot of in a lot of instances. But I think that there's probably the overall kind of big picture thing is the lack of of low-houred equipment on the marketplace right now seems to be really driving that marketplace. Yeah, yeah I would agree. One thing we're hearing. Um, you know, we're talking to farmers all the time on social media and then out at the auctions, of course. But you're right, when a low-hour item shows up at auction, whether it's a 3-year-old combine or tractor or like a 10-, 12-year-old item, you'll we see the strong price if it's good condition, but the chatter, you'll hear people verbalize that it's difficult to find that low-hour item. And if you get up into that 10-year-old range right now, I've been blogging about this, but it, there's almost becoming an increasing crescendo on, you know, the value on that stuff. Um, 
In fact, this last week has been extremely interesting because, of course, the, you know, the Chinese proposed tariffs on soybeans, um, that came in, or I woke up, I think it was Wednesday morning, April 4th, saw the headline on CNN or whatever, Fox, and, you know, I was thinking, ooh, well, this is going to be an interesting day in the auction market, because um, good stuff has been holding really strong since November, and right now, early April, most of the auctions in the Midwest are up north, up, up uh, Minnesota, North Dakota, um, and on Wednesday, April 4th, there were two super nice farm auctions in North Dakota with super nice equipment. And both sales, the price is cut on the high side. Now, they didn't start selling this machinery until after lunchtime. So there was plenty of time for everyone at the sale and online to digest the, oh, my gosh, what does this proposed tariff stuff mean? And I've always, 28 and a half years tracking this stuff, Casey, the one thing I've seen and kind of grown to love about tracking auction data is that it's so responsive. I mean, basically, you're talking about how do people feel? Are you, you feel like spending today or not? So Wednesday was a pretty big curveball coming at us like, ooh. And, I, you know, it's natural to think people are going to pull back. Now, at least on a Wednesday and what I saw yesterday, the day after their proposed tariffs, the pricing on good use was still very strong. So on the North Dakota sales, he referenced 10-year-old equipment. There was a sale up in northeast North Dakota. Uh, main resource was the auction company, Dennis Bliski. And they had a, a, tw- a 2008 Case H 2588 combine, 10 years old. 1,635 engine hours brought 95,000 with no heads. It's the highest price with no heads in 27 months. Same sale, New Holland T90 34 wheel drive, 1,541 hours on it, brought 125, highest ever auction price in the U.S. on a T90 30. In fact, we compared both of those prices to the dealer retail prices in our machinerypeat.com website. And, I mean, those auction prices, frankly, are kind of retail. Right. So that sale was strong. Then we saw a second sale down in southern North Dakota on Wednesday that had, and this was interesting because it had a Challenger tractor. Now, you know, know, whatever, great tractors, but they're just tracking auction prices three decades. They're susceptible to selling softer, whether Mm -hmm. that's dealer network or whatever, but... Anyway, they had a 2011 MT765C, played 594 hours on it, and it brought 147.5, which hard cash, that's the second highest auction price I've ever seen, and I think the highest in five years. So at least on Wednesday in North Dakota, folks weren't too phased by the tariffs, but it's going to be a day-by-day thing here, and we'll have to see how it plays out. Are you hearing much uh, chatter on the topic here? You know, I haven't really seen too much of it yet. I haven't really heard too many guys talk about it yet. Um, my, my opinion of it is the guys that are, gonna, that are buying equipment now, and I've, I've kind of been saying this for the past year, that they're buying equipment because they have to, not necessarily because they want to. Um, they're either going yeah. to pay a large re- large amount of money to get it to go where it needs to be, or <clears throat> they're up against uh, some kind of... Uh, they're not quite comfortable anymore 
with the number of hours they're putting on the machine and and, and where they're at. They're because they're used to maybe having a, you know, every couple of years they they trade off their equipment, get something new, and now they've gone five or six years, and now they're going to have to. And they're yeah. they're really filling that squeeze. Um, I've talked about the soft bottom thing on here uh, a couple times now, and I, I think this is one of those those things that if it does happen, it could be very. I think it could be pretty catastrophic for the used equipment marketplace. I don't think that there's any um, any way around that. If uh, you're already talking about a pretty fragile marketplace anyway, and then you're going to start here and say, all right, guys, now we're going to make it even harder for you now to make money because uh, of the right. of our largest customer to buy soybeans now is not going to buy as many from us as they have in the past. The price of soybeans are going to go down. So will corn. So will wheat. So so everything else, right? So I, I, I it, that's my worry, yeah. you know, that we're going to run into that midsummer. Oh crap! This is real now, and now what are we going to do? Right. It's well again. That's sort of been the brutal honesty of auction data. Is you know you put any asset up for sale? Oh, let's say a week from Tuesday, and a market determined. You know, we it doesn't matter what we think it's worth. It's how people are feeling. Uh, and if they pull back, and if soybeans do go down, I mean, you're right. It was interesting when the Chinese tariff things were proposed and it ramped up on Wednesday. I saw on Twitter, which we kind of live out there. Um, it was interesting. So you, obviously, you have a lot of Trump supporters, mm-hmm. rural America. But at the same time, a lot of farmers, and it's like the soybean thing, obviously, would, like you say, could be catastrophic. I think it, it, it took about a half a day, and I started to see uh, people's, what they were saying was, well, this is just positioning, and this, this doesn't mean this is going to happen. Now, we don't know yet what's going to happen. And it, like you say, if the tariffs kicked in, then it gets real. And... Um, to the, your point on the soft bottom, that's what I've seen since about first quarter of 16. Late model used equipment values, I mean, they obviously fell pretty hard end of 13, 14 through 15, and then started to flatline. And in a, on my index, it was kind of about in the 6.4, 6.5 range. And I've, just for perspective, I've always considered 6 to be normal or stable. And again, of course, there is no normal or stable, but right. it's just when you've been tracking it this long. So, yeah, it'll be really interesting to see what happens. I, I, it's interesting because, you know, times have been tough now, low profit pressure for five years since spring of 13. So I, I agree with what you said, Casey. There's just maybe folks that don't want to do stuff, but they've been out there buying because they have to. So if we add more pressure with, uh, you know, falling commodity prices again, Will that be equally distributed across the used market and new sales? Or will it be more focused on new sales just stopping? And people say, well, you know, I, I have to buy a planner, but I can't. I want to buy the new one. I don't know. Yeah. It, it'll be very interesting to see. Hopefully we don't run into that stuff, but it'll be what it will be, I guess. Yeah. My opinion on that is I think that there's if, if there's a fall in commodity prices and they're starting to, to weigh – Am I going to buy new or used? I think they're going to go more towards the used side of the marketplace if they can find what they're looking for. And and the reason for that it was the steel tariff thing. Um, the price of equipment will go up uh, just because of, you know, 
what it costs to make it's going to go up. But also with what's happened with 179 and the double depreciation being able to be taken on on used equipment the same way it was on new, um, I think you could have a lot more people come to the table and say, you know what, I'd love to buy that that new piece, but I can spend four hundred fifty thousand dollars or four hundred grand on a new combine, but I can also go buy this this pretty nice low hour one over here for three hundred thousand. So how does that work with my cash flow? I think those kind of conversations are going to be way more right. probably prevalent now just because of the tax the, the tax benefits that you have on on the used is the same as on the new right yeah you know again i think what we're seeing is we're seeing these rising prices on these it's not just the 10 year old stuff but even back down to the one two-year-old stuff when it shows up and i had an interesting conversation uh yesterday case that because it's a on, but it was from a guy in the upper midwest here and for 30 years he's been been a broker, I guess you'd say, but but specifically a broker for high quality use, and a, specifically a broker that's been working with dealers. And his comment to me yesterday, which I found interesting, I've been talking to the guy forever, and he said he was starting to pick up from a lot of dealers that they were kind of running short on high quality used, whether that's two year old, whatever, just not having what the customer wanted, and if the customer's not buying new but wants that nice two three-year-old whatever so he that's what his comment and he was you know he's out there bidding at auction and he's getting skunked because these prices are cutting a little bit higher um so i don't know across what you see on the dealer side inventory level of of good used if if you think that's a thing or if it's isolated or not an issue or no i think i really do think that there is a there is a shortage of of late model equipment because if you think about it from 2015 all the way through this last you know end of 20 uh 2018 now for the last three years every year for the most part the overall new productions whether it be case deer whomever they've been less and less every year and they're kind of starting to kind of pick back up now you're just kind of starting to see that kind of come back up a little bit but it is a it is a true thing now what i also think is happening as well is there are a lot of dealers out there that have a, a shortage of supply, and there are dealers out there that have a fairly strong supply right. of equipment. But a lot of a lot of dealers aren't necessarily pricing their equipment either to where they are um, in a good position. Right. You know, you can go out and look and see some pretty crazy stuff out there listed on on even on your website, right. Machinery Pete. You know, there's there's a lot right. of stuff out there that I'm like, really, this is what you're going to try to get out of this thing? You know. <laughs> right. Well, one thing I'm interested to do on the dealer side with interest rates starting to slowly work their way back up, and I was just reading yesterday, it was a story on, on the car business, but it was talking about how car dealers are, are, going, are being forced to move away from the 0% offerings. They don't want to. Kind of nobody wants to be first. You know, it's like that human thing we get used to at 0% for four, five, six, even seven years on cars now or whatever. And I've seen a lot of dealers offering, you know, great specials a lot of them through our targeted emails with zero percent and i don't know if you think that might um alter a little bit or is altering or and if if interest rates continue to rise what i would not like to see happen is you get multiple negative things happening at the same time so the tariff crap hopefully won't come to fruition but if it did and then ooh, our interest rates rising at the same time Right. Uh, 
just curious on your take on that end of it, Casey. Well, I think your interest rate thing right now is is probably not a big deal for for the rest of the year. Um, most guys' operating mm-hmm. notes are locked in now at whatever interest rate that they're at, and and they're going right. to go on. But now think about this: fast forward in a year, we could be anywhere from half point to three quarter point of a percent higher than mm-hmm. where we're at now, and that's you're starting to approach you know six six and a quarter percent interest rates in a lot of cases. And what does that look like? Right. I, I think it will drive uh, the market in, in into more of a. Um, you know, guys just have been operating so long for so on such cheap interest rates that they've been able to right. really grow their business and not have to worry about interest as a as a operating cost. Right. right. So yeah, I think there's right. going to be, um, you know, how, how that affects the market. I think is going to have a very dramatic effect on it. I think you know, every quarter or so you're going to get, whether it be. A lending institution, whether it's you know JDF or whether it's uh, CNH right. Capital or Wells Fargo, whoever it is, they're going to be raising their rates as they go now. Right. So, you think guys would be buying now if they were going to buy something and not wait till the end of the year because right. you could have a half percent exactly. higher interest rate by then. That's that's what I'm I'm actively trying to message to the farm audience. Yeah. It's like guys, eyes open here. Your local dealer is offering some fantastic, you know, deals here. And don't, it's just like you say, we get used to these 0%. It's been so long. Well, that'll always be there. Uh, no, it won't. And and one interesting thing, your comment earlier, Casey, about the kind of the two camps of dealers based on used inventory, that's really interesting. And I don't know if, if I'm sure it's a part of the increased consolidation rate we're seeing across the dealer network, but it's, uh, you know, I guess I've always felt, and I grew up in a dealer business, and maybe this was just my dad's obsession about the business, but um, with used inventory, if you are if you got too much and it's overpriced, it, it ain't going to get any better holding it. Well, it's, of course, no fun to deal with that issue, and whether you can absorb the losses necessary, that's another question, But <clears throat> but holding and hoping is a is a difficult strategy. So that's one thing when, when I see these interest rates keep going up from the dealer end of it, you know, with your you know, operating loan or whatever, same with farmers, is you're just tightening screws when you go up a half a percent. Oop, well, that didn't feel too good. Oop, that hurt worse. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see both on the farmer end and the dealer end. But I think you're right about the going back to the point before about lack of you know late model inventory out there at auction i, I know with sprayers in the last uh, 18 months when a one or two year old low hour sprayer shows up at auction you'll be out there and the, and the guys will say hey, i've been looking for one and i couldn't find it so again one thing i'm trying to message to our farm audience through our different you know tv radio and print and all of social media stuff is <clears throat> you know there's some opportunities out there and, you know, be proactive. But I guess the one thing is if, if we start interjecting our, is the soft bottom going to hold, you know, that makes people potentially pull back and wait to see if it's going to drop. Now, again, that gets back to the daily auction prices. And so what we've seen the last couple of days, at least, you know, we haven't seen any effect, but fascinating market to track. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's that's for sure. So, so going back to when you were, so twenty eight years ago, do rough math here in my head. So that would be somewhere around what nineteen eighty seven or so that you started doing this. Nineteen eighty nine. Nineteen eighty nine. Okay. So I'm showing how old I am. <laughs> but there's a uh, if you look at, at at how that how that whole thing played out. So you, you kind of started tracking those auctions towards the end of the of the bloody right. you know 1980s and and uh, all the right. all the bad stories we hear that come out of then. But from '89 to like '95 wasn't necessarily a good years either. You know what I mean? So no, there was a no. some pretty tough times in there where interest rates were fairly high. So reflect on that a little bit and kind of think about what you see, you know, from 89 to 95 to what you're seeing now, you see any correlations between those time periods? Uh, yeah, I, I do. In, in track, this is kind of the fun of looking back over 28 years. Um, and I think one of the things that's changed has been the production. Uh, you know, manufacturers, dealers led the way, but, you know, figuring out uh, how to control production because, you know, when you're raising the price of what you're making, every year and and um, you know they have to they've been put a lot of things put on their plate but still prices going up so you know if you train your audience to the you buy it will build it model you're just able to hold on to more pricing power and to me when we came out of a tough period now the price of corn shot up in nine what was it 96 i think yeah um and so i was I was like my mid twenties or twenty seven or whatever, but I was seeing auction pricing immediately shot up. Of course, there was no internet back then; it was harder to groupthink everything. But farmers have money; they spend it. That's kind of a truth, right? Yeah. And we definitely saw it in ninety six. Now that the high commodity price window didn't stay open that long, and there was an overhang where when when price of corn beans fell again. There was way too much inventory. I mean, way too much. So we saw low auction pricing, you know, from 98 on into like 03. And now, again, we're coming off of the the 07 to 13, early 13 period when the money spigot was open. And that the spigot stayed open longer than it had ever been open. <clears throat> and I think... One thing I'm trying to message to the farm audience is, again, try to be proactive when it feels like that's not the time because that's where the value is. So you could look back at our auction data in that period, like you mentioned, from you know the early 90s, which was, was kind of tough or flat, you know, hard to make money. And then again, from 98 to 03, you look at the auction prices in there and you'll see low-hour, one, two, three-year-old stuff. And you'll say, my God, how how did that sell for that? Because now you're looking at it when it's 20 years old, the same piece. Well, perfect example, yesterday uh, it was an auction in Fergus Falls, Minnesota, around the edge of Lake Country. <clears throat> Osnes auctioneers had the sale, farm retirement sale. Guy had a 95 Case H 7220, 4,994 hours on it, sold for 61000 bucks. And the auctioneer, Cody Osnes, emailed me and he said, Pete, he said, you know that guy that sold yesterday? He bought that thing. He was the second owner on it, and he bought it for $62,000 in the year 2000. It was five years old. Paid sixty-two dollars for it. 
ran it 18 years, and sold it for 61. Now, he bought when things were down, right in that down period, 2000. And I'm sure it was tough to, to be a buyer then. But he bought it, and now, you know, he, all these years later, he sold it, and he got a premium for it because now it's a 20, whatever what he wants, a nice, clean, one-second owner, low-hour machine. So one thing I'm telling farmers is, you look back over the 28 years, one truth I've seen goes back to what you said at the start. Ten-year-old stuff, good condition. Everybody wants it, right? Mm -hmm. Combine, tractor, they just want it, okay? Well, <clears throat> what about, where's the value? Where's the value play? How about that uh, three- to five-year-old, six-year-old range? Because if you, if you find the right one there with low hours, run it for three, four years, guess what? At some point, you got a low-hour ten-year-old machine. And I think more farmers are starting to get this. And that I don't know if that's partly why you see, because I, actually if you go back to November, I've, I've sort of been surprised at the one- to three-year-old stuff, the strength of the auction price on it. And it, it must be tied, like we were saying before, to that shortage. But, um, you know, looking back, there's a lot of lessons when we look back over over time, and what's the, there's some famous line about if you don't pay attention to history, you're doomed to repeat it. Doomed to repeat it, yeah. And it's um, one of the projects I want to get going here is interview farmers who came through the 80s and ag lenders and dealers and just get down on video and get those folks talking about what that was like because it was 19% interest. Right. And people think, wow, that can't happen again. Well, Maybe, but we can learn from our past uh, successes and failures. I think. Yeah. No, I think that's 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 a very very good statement. I mean, that's that would be a great a great thing to kind of talk to those guys and, and understand, like you said, the historical aspects of it. The one thing right. that I look back on and I'm looking at now is is what will what will the interest do? You know, I mean. How many guys now are going to say, you know, interest rates are this, you know, how's that going to affect my business? And what the, what are the bankers telling them? So, like when I watch some of these auction values, for example, and, and there are some there are some definite anomalies that come along. You know, like the uh, eighty four twenty or whatever it was that sold for a hundred thousand bucks, or the uh, ninety seven right. seventy that sold for one hundred eighty thousand dollars, or the uh, right. twenty three eighty eight you just talked about. You know, stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. Those kind of machines, I I don't know. I mean, there's not there's not a bank in the world that's going to loan someone that amount of money on that kind of a piece of equipment. It's just not going to happen. So, yeah, they might loan up to a certain value, and then there's the cash part of it comes into there. And and how does that cash play out that they're laying out? How does that affect their business? And and will that keep driving yeah. what happens at these at the auctions? I just. Yeah, it's uh, a little bit, I, I would draw a similarity with farmers to dealers. We talked about earlier, Casey, some dealers are light on used inventory and other dealers are heavy. And I think farmers, you know, some farmers have incredibly strong bulletproof balance sheets. Absolutely. No and a lot of other that. farmers, yeah. a lot of, yeah, a lot of other farmers don't. So you, we're kind of, it's kind of like our culture in general. It's, it's unfortunately based on money. It's the haves and the have-nots, kind of. Right. So one of the interesting things about the last six months of auctions is there have been a, an elevated number of machinery auctions. Mm -hmm. I mean, big time. This winter was, 
I mean, March was insane, the number of auctions. So you can look at that and say, well, supply and demand, you've got a, we saw like a 50% increase versus 2012 in the number of machinery auctions. So times are tough, more auctions, prices got to fall, right? No, it depends, you know, on the condition and also who's buying it. So like that 2588, the guy paid 95000 for um, Tuesday or Wednesday up in North Dakota. Probably a guy that's, you know, not having to go to his banker for every little decision. Right. Whereas, you know, we're seeing a lot of other auctions that the bank is dictating. It's like, nope, you're out or you're restructuring. So it's uh, it's kind of like jambalaya. You know, there's just a little zillion ingredients in there and it. It's a lot involved. It, it makes it hard to have generalized statements about the market. But I, I think as a dealer um, or a farmer, I mean, it, you kind of boil it down to, to the greatest extent possible, are you selling what people want? And then, you know, and then factor in the inventory. Oh, do you have too much? Are you too light? And, you know, so I've always been fascinated by the dealer business trying to manage that those moving fulcrum points on a daily basis. Um, but when you can do it right, um, it's a good place to be. Yeah. So I got one last question here, and then we'll we'll wrap it up. But so you you talk to the auctioneers, you talk to some end users when you're out at, at the auctions and, and you're in in place. Have you ever asked the mindset of the guy? That paid, you know, one hundred eighty thousand dollars for that ninety-seven seventy. I mean, like, that, I mean, it baffles me to no end. Because if I had a ninety-seven seventy yeah. sitting on my lot for one hundred eighty thousand, it was the exact same thing as that guy had right there, the to to the letter. And I had a customer video and the whole nine yards. I would not get anywhere near that amount of money. So I just, right. I'm always perplexed by that when I no. see those things come through. Yep. No, I we talk to him every day, Casey. And that the ninety-seven seventy you're referring to, yeah, that was out in Idaho. It was uh, March sixth, an eleven model ninety-seven seventy nine hundred nine engine hours, super sharp. Farm auction brought one eighty. Yeah. So again, we look at our data, and it's like, oh my God, that's the highest, you know, that's the highest price in uh, you know, over three years on ninety-seven seventy. Why did the guy pay that? Well, when you ask them uh, why. Or what's even better is I don't even have to ask. These guys reach out to me all daily, and they'll tell me why. And typically what they say is, I've been looking for this, you know, fill in the blank, for a long time. And here it was. And then usually what happens is it's super nice condition. It's one owner. They either know the owner or the list of equipment on the sale was such they could tell everything was super nice. And then you've got to figure, I mean, whether you call it auction fever or whatever, there's, there's, some, there's a reason the auction method I mean, goes back to ancient days because it works. It leverages interest, and it makes things happen when it's done right. And this is actually something that I've been writing and talking about more, and it's tricky because I have 1,100 auction companies we're, we're networked with, and I've worked with them for 28-plus years. We love all of them. But frankly, the bottom line is it's becoming, it's spreading more based on who sells it and how they market it and everything that goes into how they have sales. Now, you know, the online piece and everything, but 
you're right. As it pertains on the dealer side, you look at that and you go, well, that's insane. 180,000 bucks. Or, uh, you know, there's, there's so many examples where we see these auction prices selling for retail. And to me, and you mentioned you have video, which is good. I, I like, you know, dealers, I think <clears throat> we've talked about it before, but there's going to be new ways to leverage that that uh, interest in the owner, to say. So that 9770 that brought 180000 you know, they were buying the owner, basically. The machine is awesome, but... And, you know, there's got to be better ways outside of an auction situation to somehow, you know, pull in that owner. And, again, on the dealer side... This is what we're trying to build towards with Machine Repeat, whether you're selling privately or dealer or auction, is just let's see and hear the owner. In fact, I was talking uh, yesterday to a guy southern Minnesota here. Now, <clears throat> he had a 1468 International. Well, that's kind of a you know collector item these days, whatever. But it was interesting. He's, he put it on Craigslist and at 29K. And he said he had a call from a guy in northern Minnesota seven hours away. He said the guy called him and said, oh, I see your 1468. I, I really want it. I'm seven hours away. Can I drive? Can you hold it seven hours while I drive down? And the minute the guy here by Rochester said, yeah, he said, I'll hold it for seven hours. So the guy drives seven hours down, shows up, and he, he doesn't jack around with the guy on the, on the price of all. He goes, oh, this is awesome. I'll buy it. Now, the seller was so impressed by, one, his willingness to drive seven hours, and two, his willingness not to jerk him around on the asking price, that he said, you know what? He said, I'm gonna, I'll pay to have this hauled home for you. And what that gets at is the personal nature of the business, which the farm equipment business is still very personal, yeah. even though we built out all these great Internet stuff. So I think there's ways to unlock the personalness in appropriate ways when you're selling something. Now, I don't, I don't know if you can get up to 180 on that 9770, but no. <laughs> <you> know, <laughs> hey, don't sell yourself short, buddy. I, I've seen what you can do. Maybe 179, but, see, but not 180. Yeah. Well, this is why when I go around and talk, I feel funny when I say it, but when I talk to dealers, I'm like, hey, if you guys got anybody on your staff, a young kid or whatever that like flying drones, just let him go to your. 10 or 15 best customers every fall and spring and just let him film your top guys planting and harvesting because when they trade that planter or combine or tractor back into you what you you know to get towards that you know push towards that what we you know laugh about that 180 price we have to find new ways to personalize it and i think video can do it on the farm and even better you know, get the farmer there, and this is kind of a beautiful thing. We see this with our TV show, Casey. It's funny. We go around, we film these auctions for TV. So here we're at Farmer Joe's place, and, hey, you know, let's film. Let's do an interview. And every single time, every time, they'll say, oh, I, you know, I, I don't know. And they say it with a half a smile on their face because that's who they are. They're, you know, rural people aren't, look at me. That's not who we are. It's beautiful. But once we, we get the camera going and we start, we're just talking about the combine or the tractor, it's just like a switch goes off. And now Farmer Joe is saying, wow, 
yeah, I, I bought this thing from my friend Casey at uh, 21st, and these guys treat me great. And I bought this thing on February 8th and brought it home. And my my two sons, Bob and John, run this thing. And when you watch the video, now it's like you're talking to this dude. Right. And it's personal. Yeah. And that's how people are willing to pay more money in a trusted environment. So I, I don't know the exact answer, but I think... Um, now, this would be interesting for you or for any dealer, I guess, you know, because guys will tease me and they'll, they'll say, geez, Pete, you know, you, you mentioned that 9770 for 180000 so then my farmer came in and wanted that for his on-trade. And I get that. I grew up in the dealer business, and, you know, you explain, wow, that was a crazy deal, whatever. But flip it. Now, you got that 9770 for sale, and you're asking 163 for it. Well, didn't I just give you a pretty good piece of ammunition when you say, well, she repeat, you just saw that 97.70 on Tuesday, I brought 180,000. Mine's just as nice. I'm only asking 165. Right. And then if you can, you know, there's two ways of looking at it, but like I say, it's fascinating business. Oh yeah. <clears throat> Never a dull moment. That's for sure. So, well, Greg, it's always a pleasure to have you on the podcast, man, and I and I really appreciate you taking some time out of your day to, to, to come on here and talk with me. So before we shut it down, do you have any, any final thoughts you'd like to throw out there to, to the group? No, just again, thank you, Casey, for having me on, and uh, hats off for what you're building with your podcast. It's fantastic. Um, I'm watching it grow. It's great, and uh, we just want to say, again, just a big thank you for all our dealer partners out there who have helped us uh, build our machinery repeat site and uh, traffic has taken off, and we're, are, we're we're trying to help you guys move more stuff at a higher price point. That's what we're about. So we really appreciate all your help. Okay. Well, thanks, Greg. I appreciate that. So, uh, well, that's going to do it for this edition of the Moving Iron Podcast. I'd like to thank Greg Peterson for being on. Remember, if you want to continue any of these conversations, you can hit me up on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Moving Iron LLC. You can also hit up Regina Nardis at Moving Iron. I'm sorry, at uh, Instagram and Facebook. Same with Aaron Fennell. He's at uh, Aaron Fennell at, on Facebook and Twitter as well. Um, Moving Iron LLC has a website you can visit, movingironllc.com. Here you can find information for the 2018 Moving Iron Summit in Las Vegas, past and current episodes of the Moving Iron Podcast, and articles for Moving Iron Blog. Throughout the year, there'll be guest bloggers writing on various topics from their point of view. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can leave a review and subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast podcasting platform you can also uh, subscribe to the moving iron youtube page and if you shop amazon use the amazon click through at movingironllc.com it won't cost you anything and you'll still have the same experience you're accustomed to while supporting the podcast you can find the podcast at itunes google play stitcher radio tune in radio and soundcloud so until next time let's go move some iron this is casey seymour out <laughs>